chill on the hill. Um, that's how we're different. That's literally how we're different. Feel of the property, the beautiful views, the beautiful wines. That whole term really defined what this property is. But it also defined who we are. We want our guests to come here, relax with a beautiful bottle of wine, enjoy a beautiful view, and just chill on the hill. And that's our experience that defines who we are and our wines and what we do here at Rutherford Hill. Welcome to episode six of Sip on This, the podcast that brings you into the wondrous experience of Napa Valley's and Sonoma Valley's wine. I'm Roger Chung, your co-host, and we're at a marvelous winery today that truly has it all. Delectable wines, a one-of-a-kind, stunning mountaintop property with panoramic views of Napa, and an experience that is both refined yet fun. We're at the Rutherford Hill Winery, which is one of two properties in Napa that are part of the Turlato family winery. And again, I'm joined by my brilliant co-host, Janae Gaither. Hey, Roger. It's good to be back with you today, and I'm so happy to be here at this awesome property that is Rutherford Hill. We are recording this not from the main tasting room and not from the Hilltop Picnic property on the grounds, but from the Rutherford Hill Caves, which are actually one mile long, which is pretty, pretty awesome. And a cave that any Napa visitor can visit anytime, and it's pretty amazing in here. And joining us today, for this episode of Sip on This is Joseph Foss, the Director of Hospitality and Rutherford Hills esteemed winemaker, Marisa Taylor. Welcome, Marisa and Joe. It's good to have you here. Thank you for coming. Thank Great you. to have you guys. Thanks for joining us on Sip on This. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Marisa, before we get to you, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then also tell us a little bit about the property and the origins and story behind Rutherford Hill? Sure, absolutely. I've been blessed to be here at Rutherford Hill with the Tulato family for about two years now. Um, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous property. Uh, beautiful, beautiful wines, beautiful property, with the views. And I'd love to share that with my guests, especially on our tour with the cave. I've been in the wine business now for 12 years, started actually down in Santa Barbara. Barbara. So this property actually is incredible. It started back in 1973, interestingly enough, by the Pillsbury Corporation. Mm. They literally started a winery, and they hired a very famous gentleman in this valley, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Joseph Phelps, of the Joseph Phelps Winery, to build this beautiful property. So he was the one who built this property, working working with um, an architect to try to capture sort of that classic northern uh, lodge feel to the design of this building and what's really fascinating is if you actually look at the front facade of our building you will notice our front facade and the exterior and supports are built out of used railroad ties literally back in the early 70s Napa had done redone their entire railroad system and they were sitting on all these old railroad ties and Mr. Phelps literally went to the county and said what are you going to do with those and they said they were going to destroy them and he said I'll take them all and he implemented them into the design of this building now we're one of 87 certified green properties in Napa how tall is that building I'm not sure how tall it is do you know that one no I don't <laughs> I guess we better go measure huh? I, I guess the it, audience just needs to come here yeah, check come out. check it out. So tell us a little bit more about the Trelato family. So 1956, moved from Brooklyn, New York to Chicago with his father to start a liquor store called Leading Liquor Mart. 
but they were going to be different. They were going to dedicate half of their store to selling European wines. Nobody else was doing that at that time. They were the first to import wines from Europe and sell them to the Chicago public, and they became incredibly successful. In fact, Tony Terlato is known as the grandfather of Pinot Grigio. He introduced that varietal to the American public under the label Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio. It is one. It is the number one selling Pinot Grigio in the United States. What a fun fact that is. But he is the grandfather of Pinot Grigio bringing that varietal to that area. So successful that they then started a distribution company called Pacific Wine and Spirits, distributing European wines all throughout the United States. But Tony always had a dream of owning his own winery, making his favorite Bordeaux blends that he loved so much. And so when this property came on the market in 1996, it was his golden opportunity, and he bought this winery. He has another prop- some other properties in Napa and throughout California and around the world, too. Yes, he's also, so we were the first, as, as Joe mentioned, he, so this was the fruition of his dream, lifelong dream. And then they, um, several years down the line, uh, invested in, I believe it was Alderbrook Winery that was over in uh, Russian River, and then Chimney Rock Winery just down the trail here, about 15 minutes. We also have another sister winery down in Santa Barbara, uh, Sanford Winery. the Trilados are also invested, as you mentioned, internationally. So they also have uh, vineyards in Italy, um, the Friuli uh, region, northern Italy, that they are now producing a Trilado Pinot Grigio, as mm-hmm. Joseph mentioned. So mm-hmm. now they're putting their name to that. And they are also vested in the Rhone and also in Australia with Chapoutier. Um, they have joint projects there. Wow. we got to go around the world and sample these wines, huh? I'm super excited about going around the world. <laughs> <laughs> and in order to have a successful winery, you also have to have delectable, enjoyable, palatable wines. And the person who is responsible for that, as Janae introduced earlier, is Marisa Taylor. Full disclosure to our audience, I am a member of the Rutherford Hill Wine Club. I am a wine club member because I simply enjoy your wines and the experience that I have here every time I come. So, Marisa, tell us about how you came to be Rutherford Hills winemaker. I grew up in Sonoma County and grew up in wine country. Actually, my good friend Elizabeth, who's the winemaker at Chimney Rock, there was an opportunity here at Rutherford Hill, and she called me up, and kind of the rest is history. But I was, you know, Tony Trelato, uh, quality is a way of life for him, the, the, for the family, and I really appreciated that at a winery. And what positions did you have in the industry before you became uh, Rutherford well, Hill's Rutherford. winemaker? Um, I have a background in, I started off in sparkling, so, you know, that's <laughs> another <laughs> happy dance over here. That's always a great opportunity opportunity when you're going to school and to get the harvest experience under your belt and be able to go back to to college. So I was at Davis and started off um, at Piper Sonoma and then I also did a vintage uh, J wine and then also uh, where Cliff Letty is now it used to be S. Anderson and so I worked the vintage there uh, in the late 90s. And um, and then from there, I went to Italy, worked a vintage over there, and then landed in Sonoma County uh, at William Sullivan doing mm-hmm. Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, a little bit of Zinfandel, and then came over here thinking, oh, I'll go get some experience in those Bordeaux varieties, you know, really round out my resume as a young winemaker, and just been it's been wonderful, and I've been here now 14 years. And when I think about rounding out my resume, it's not because of adding Bordeaux. <laughs> 
Well, we all know that Napa and Sonoma have more than 525 wineries. And do we know how many female winemakers are at the helm of those? We I, You know what? I've heard varying percentages. I think that uh, 10%, I think in Napa, Sonoma, we're lucky enough. I think there's probably more like 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look throughout California, I think 10% is a, is a good uh, number there. I think worldwide, it's much less. I think it's probably more like 5%, but um, yeah, we're pretty fortunate to live in a place and be supported by so many great people here. And And I love that you're at the helm of this one, because (laughs) there are very few women at the helm, and um, whenever I meet a new woman winemaker, I just just admire you all so much. I really do. but being the winemaker, especially of a highly respected label, carries a really big responsibility. So what do you think are the hardest challenges of being a, being a winemaker, and what are the challenges of being a female winemaker in the Valley? When I think about winemaking, I'm thinking more about, you know, tasks at hand. There's a lot of different hats, I think, that you wear as a winemaker. You know, you can be um, personal counselor to your staff. You can, you know, you put on the viticulture hat when you're out in the vineyards. You're blending. You're a chemist when you're here. Um, and yeah, as far as the being a woman winemaker, I don't really think about that. I just kind of do, right? I just do my job and um, you know approach everything with passion and excitement as best I can. <laughs> and um, yeah. And you just mentioned passion and excitement, and one of the reasons why I enjoy Rutherford Hill wine so much is that I could taste your craft. And I notice in each sip how well you take care of the wine. And in one of your wines in particular, which I am, which is called Ian Tiago, it's one of my personal favorites, I certainly taste how much nurturing you put into your winemaking. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I do put a lot of love and passion into those wines and lucky enough to work with a great staff and, you know, call it our family within the family. You know, we're owned by a wonderful family, but we also here at the property, as Joe can attest to, we are also a family um, making the wines and selling the wines. So uh, that's nice to know. Thanks for the feedback. I actually have sent it, sent it to my friends uh, around the country, to my friend Jamie in New York, to my friend Bindu Aww. in Seattle. And whenever friends come here, I want to make sure that your your wine educators in the tasting room um, are able to pour some of that Ian Tiago so that others can experience it. It's really delectable. And also, it's also really amazing, too, that Ian Tiago has a great story to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whenever we tell that story um, to our guests, it just they we get the awe effect, um, and so we'll tell you that story. It really does. Well, Can't I wait till we get to that. Super one. excited about this Ian Tiago. Well, we'll pour it, and then when yes. we pour it, and you taste it, and we tell you the story, all the perfect elements will fall into place. Perfect. And Marisa, can you tell us about the portfolio of wines that are featured here at Rutherford Hill and the different labels that are that are here? Okay. Sure. Um, so Rutherford Hill Winery is, which we'll be tasting today, is the property and the, the place. Um, we make Rutherford Hill wines um, anywhere from 25 to 30 different SKUs for those special wine club members that you are lucky to to be part of. And we also make uh, Trilado wines here as well, Trilado family wines. Episode is another wine that's the, the top tier kind of the cream of the crop that we make here at the winery. Quick question. So how many different varietals do you do here, and how many AVAs do you source from? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it can change each year. Um, we do do all five Bordeaux varieties. 
Um, so Merlot, Cab Sauve, Cab Franc, uh, Malbec and Petit Verdot. Uh, we also make um, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Chardonnay. Um, in past years, we've also um, made Sangiovese and Syrah, um, but we also make a Petite Syrah. That's a newer, newer <laughs> little happy dance Another over happy here dance. Uh, that we source uh, from Calistoga. So fantastic. So, Joe, what did you just pour for us? So you actually are enjoying our beautiful 2015 Carneros Chardonnay. <laughs> Sorry, I got stuck. We have a, a wardrobe malfunction here in the studio. Um, got so excited there. <laughs> I don't know how that pen just got into your ear. I know. I got to clarify that. That was good. <laughs> okay, Joe, so what did you just pour for us? <laughs> I just poured you some of our beautiful 2015 Carneros Chardonnay. So, um, what, again, and Carneros, perfect growing region, cool temperature zone, heaven for what is known as those classic grapes of Champagne. So Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, and Chardonnay. Um, and these are, this is mostly purchased fruit, is that correct? Um, yes, we have yeah. had, had, since I've started in 2004, and I ought to go look at the, the history there, but we have a long history with a grower in Carneros, and so this is where this fruit has prim primarily been purchased from. And this vintage we also sourced from an, from another vineyard in Carneros, but it's primarily, yeah, it's all Carneros fruit, so from two different vineyards. I see that you already took a sip of the wine. Why don't you describe it for us? Oh, uh, this wine, this 2015 Carneros Shard. Um, I get a lot of immediately on the nose. I get some tropical fruit flavors. Mm. Um, and then on the palate, I get, uh, it's more like a medium body with some banana and pineapple initially, and then um, maybe a little bit of kiwi, but also on the finish or moving toward the finish, I get a little flintiness, a little minerality that I think is really, really cool. And I don't often get that with a lot of California Chardonnays. Um, I get that more in like Chablis style Chardonnays um, that go through zero mallow, but this is, this actually has a little bit of that. So I'm more inclined to drink this because I do love that minerality characteristic. Thank you. For off the nose, it's a beautiful bouquet, very floral to me. Uh, for a Chardonnay, uh, very balanced. And I think uh, I taste like dried fruit, like dried pineapple, some maybe some dried mango or something. Uh, how would you describe as the winemaker? Am I right? Am I wrong? How's my subjective got, analysis here? I think you're right. I think you're spot on and probably then some. I, I don't know if I would have chosen all those wonderful descriptors, so I, I will welcome those. But I think I like what you mentioned about balance, and that's really one of the goals. And um, for me, Chardonnay, as we were talking earlier this week, he's like, do you realize you just said you love Chardonnay? And I said, I do love Chardonnay. It's one, for me, it's a personal uh, favorite. It's the one varietal I've made every year of my career, no matter where I've been, whether sparkling or still or abroad. And um, the goal is balance. You know, the goal, as you, we were talking about Carneros earlier, it's a wonderful region for for Carneros, for Chardonnay, for Pinot Noir, um, but really I love the acidity that the fruit brings and um, the tropical notes that you're picking up on. That's that's all right within what we taste in the vineyard. And we do 100% barrel fermentation here in French oak. 
Um, it's about 25% new oak, new French wow. oak, um, nine months in barrels. And we do do a little bit of lee stirring to help with the mouthfeel there. But the goal is exactly what you said. So balance, um, nice spice, the acidity, um, all those good things. And I love that you, the minerality note of it, that's that's it. That's great. How do you choose to do a wood barrel uh, fermentation rather than... uh, Tank fermentation? Tank. Stainless steel. We've played with both, to be honest. Uh, We do do some tank fermentation uh, for some other programs and also our Sauvignon Blanc that we make here. We do primarily in tank stainless steel. We even do small stainless steel barrels, too, we play with, even sometimes with the Chardonnay. Um, I think... For me, it's tradition, and I just, that's kind of my background. And then I happened, you know, to land here. It was a great fit, and they were doing the same thing. Um, the barrel, it just brings, this, it brings like the spice qual- uh, quality to the wine, and just those nuances I think that you're picking up on it kind of helps it marry together. We just pour them a little bit of this, and we say, this is our beautiful Carnero Chardonnay, but then we step back and let them experience it first because it is so different. And people literally is like, oh my God, this is so different. This is a Chardonnay because everybody has such a perception of what Chardonnay should be with the butter and the oak. And this is not any of that. It's that natural flavor, that Granny Smith apple, that pineapple and that banana with a little bit of that oak influence mm-hmm. on there. And it is so unique. It's just, it's such a pleasure on the tasting floor to just pour it, step back and watch and just see the response every time. A lot of people, when they think about California Chardonnay, they think of that buttery, oaky, characteristic and it being very very heavy and almost mm-hmm. like just syrupy and saccharine so can we talk to people about like the manipulations of the kinds of things you can do with Chardonnay that you really can't do with other varietals and how versatile it is so that people will know um, that they don't have to get that when they come to Napa Valley right um, <clears throat> well Chardonnay is one of those varietals that <clears throat> as we mentioned excuse me mentioned um, that we use that they use in the industry for sparkling mm-hmm. wine so um, Chardonnay to get all those varying degrees that you've mentioned of styles um, it really looks at the picking decision and when you decide as a winemaker you want to pick and harvest that fruit so for sparkling you're going to pick it earlier right you're going to pick it anywhere from 18 bricks which is a measurement of sugar in the grape you know to 20. 21 usually is the range. Um, And then on up. So a lot of those wines that you're describing, I think, that have gotten quite a good reputation that are out there in the marketplace throughout the United States and then some, um, they're harvested at a much riper um, bricks. So they really push it to really bring the heat, the alcohol, um, those um, more more tropical aromas than you're getting here. and yeah, and they do like it brings the sweetness, which is also just sometimes part of the alcohol, right? Gives you that sweet, but then also sometimes there's a little residual sugar in it as well. So I think you just have to sample, right? Know that know the winery and uh, sample away. And I do think the trend has been going moving away from that, from what I can tell. And I don't know. I think that you know it's kind of like with anything, trends go up and down. Speaking of trends, how do you keep your wines relevant? Well, I think uh, we're lucky that we have a beautiful tasting room and we have wonderful wine club members and we have great staff to to bounce those ideas off of and really getting feedback. I think it's it's really important to have that dialogue, to go to Joseph, to go to wine club managers, people around the winery. You know, what is it that you're enjoying? What is it that, you know, folks are saying when they come into the room? I think it's really important to get feedback. Um 
And to, to be honest, sometimes it's it might be that we, we got a lead on a varietal or mm-hmm. something like the Petite Syrah kind of came up from a, um, a friend that I went to college with. And, you know, just kind of starting those the dialogues and like Joseph mentioned about stories, you know, would this be a relevant story to bring to the winery, to bring to the wine club, to bring to the family? Yeah, because, you know, um, when I moved to San Francisco about two and a half years ago, the summer flavor was Sauve Blanc. But I think the past summer or two, everybody's been drinking rosés again. So, you know, you don't know what the, from year over year, what what may be the trendy or the, the preferred wine. Yeah, and with speaking about the rosés, and that will be our next pour here. We'll be talking about rosés, but you know we've made a rosé here for a long time. It was dry rosé before it was super trendy, and so once the rosés became more popular, it was like, oh, let's see what else we can do with the rosé, and so that's what we'll we'll be tasting next. Great, should we give it a try? Absolutely. Thanks. (laughs) I will never say no to rosé. It's the happy dance. Down here with rosés, because we have two different styles here. Yeah. Marisa specifically requested that we pour both so that we can explore uh, the vers- uh, versatility. versatility. Thank you so much on that one. Uh, the versatility of rosés, um, so that you can literally have them side by side. And right, this is the fastest trending wine. However, there's a lot of complexity to rosés. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much you can do as far as food pairing with rosés. It's interesting. I'm looking at the colors of both, and one is very kind of light salmon color, like Provence style, mm-hmm. and the other one is like darker, like Spanish style. Mm-hmm. Well, you hit it right on the head there, because um, our traditional, the second pour, the darker rosé, is the more traditional rosé that we've made here the 14 years that I've been here. Dry style, made from Seignet, you know, pulling the juice off of the tank, letting the, once we crush the Merlot, um, giving it, you know, six to 24 hours, depending on the Merlot, um, pulling some of the juice off and then fermenting it like a white wine. So stainless steel, primarily, we do do a little bit of barrel. Uh, sometimes the barrel ends up being because of space, right? You don't, you need, oh, we got an extra 60 gallons, put it into a barrel. Um, the first rosé that um, Joseph poured, the lighter Provence style as you referred uh, that was the inspiration was the Provence style uh, what else could we do what could we bring to the wine club members that would be different and so what we did um, back in 2015 is it actually started off with our Syrah but we've replanted so we've moved to Merlot so both of these are made out of Merlot and um, the first wine we we harvested earlier like we talked about with the sparkling wine but usually around 20 21 bricks. Uh, we want it to have nice uh, fruit component to it, and but we like the acidity of it. So they night harvest it and they bring it to the winery, and then we have a small press that we whole cluster press it like we would with our Chardonnay or white or Sauvignon Blanc. So it's whole cluster pressed um, into tank and stainless steel fermented like we do with our Sauv Blanc, uh, cool fermentation, uh, no malactic. So a little bit more acid on the. I, I mean, I haven't tasted them yet today, but that's usually that's the style. Is a little bit a little bit more acid than the second rosé that is the Seignier. That one's pulled from the tank, as I mentioned, and then tank. It's usually a combination of tank and maybe a hint of uh, barrel ferment some years, um, and it generally does go through malactic or partial malactic. It um, depends on the vintage. Can we discuss what uh, malactic conversion? 
Yep. Um, the easiest thing to describe the malactic uh, conversion is going from malic acid to lactic acid. It's it's the equivalent of going from like orange juice, you know how acidic orange juice is, to milk. Mm, kind of. So that's kind of how I. It's those kind of uh, textures, if you will, um, and acidity uh, profiles is the best way to describe it. Marisa, I've never done a side by side of rosés. Why don't you walk us through it? A nice way to do, put it for me is just if you taste them side by side, it's a little bit brighter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not acidic in the fact that you taste it and go, ooh, this is too much. Not astringent. Not astringent. Yeah. It's just, it's bright. It's a bright, it's a palate cleanser. It's, this is really popular. I'm, Joseph will attest to this for the picnic rounds. It's a nice picnic wine. It's, um, and the second one, there's still that brightness there, um, but it's a little bit more full and a little bit more kind of like as we talked about with, it doesn't taste like milk but it just that that sensation on your palate is a little rounder and really this one goes out into our uh, November uh, wine club shipment and this is a perfect uh, Thanksgiving holiday wine so I like to say as Joseph said it's very versatile rosé is meant to be had all year long you know there's a there's a style out there that will fit just about anything Wow, I'm just sniffing the first rosé. As you mentioned, the word bright is, is dead on. It's okay. It's just so delightful. Joe, what do you smell in each of these two wines here? Yeah, what's lovely about this Provence style is that tropical quality to it. You can smell the weight of a wine. Mm-hmm. And right away, you can smell this as a lighter wine. It's vibrant. It's open. It's alive. It's got a lot bright fruit, that tropical fruit. But again, telling that story, what's really fun is when you do this kind of comparison, when you have them side by side, what's lovely when you're with the guest is to have those little tidbits of aha moments. And so if you have this wine, what goes, so we talk about pressing and crushing of the grapes, right? Well, you crush for reds, you press for whites. And what they love is those little facts where it's like, okay, this Provence style is eight hours on the skin. Mm -hmm. This is 12 hours on the skin, whereas for a red wine, traditionally you're leaving on there for about 12 days on the skin. And that really just helps to answer those questions, why? We get those questions all the time on our tours about why, why, why? And so now that's something we've changed here, where it's like, look, let's tell them why. If you're going to give them a fact, Make sure there's a why after it. Explain it. Don't just leave them hanging out there, right? And so here it is. We have two beautiful rosés. One's lighter, obviously, so it's less time on the skin, lighter, brighter. And then here we have that nice winter-style rosé, longer on the skin, more full body, more robust, lots more to go with those more complex foods. Mm -hmm. Again, food pairing, wine pairing, simpler the wine, simpler the food, more complex the wine, more complex the food. And so, but just two rosés. But lots of versatility. Eight hours on the skin, 12 hours on the skin. That's what really people go, ah, now it all makes sense to me. The audience really needs to come in here and see the contrast and colors of these two rosés. Because they're both very beautiful colors. But then, and then not only just see the color differentiation, but also... Uh, be able to smell the differences between the two wines. And then I also sip both wines. And wow, one, the first one, very light, very open, very, I like to say for the audience, 
it's sweeter, but it's more fruity, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second one, a little bit tighter, it's drier, more body, and a little bit more depth than the first rosé. Both really good. Um, my mind is leaning towards the first one just because I feel like that is a more traditional rosé. But the second one is what you just said, Joe. I would, I never really think about um, pairing rosés with food. I serve it more as a as a as a welcome drink absolutely. with appetizers. Absolutely. And, but this is a wine that I would actually serve with dinner. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Whole treat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. What well, am I? What should I be sensing in these wines, Marisa? Well, I think you're sensing just fine there. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what the expert thinks. No, I, hey, it's all, you know, you got it. Yeah. One of the highlights of my day in working with guests is those aha moments. Mm -hmm. And if I can have a guest make a discovery, <laughs> my day is done. My day is done. It's the reason I got up in the morning, right? And, and so, to, so to be able to do that and line them up and let them taste it and then go, oh, my God. And then have them, but usually, you know what, they, they, they fall right into your court where they're like, okay, I can see this one in the summer sitting by the pool, but then in the winter I got this, and now I have both. But to make those discoveries is the real fun part of my job. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of wineries out there where you can go and you do a barrel sample, right? And they take the thief and they put it in there and they say, here's a little sample of Armorlo. Okay, moving on, here we go, right? And no, 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 Why? Why? Why is it in barrel? Why is it in oak? Why French oak? Mm -hmm. Why, well, all these little details about it. So we had a little something. We literally do a mini psalm demonstration mm -hmm. with our barrel sample. So we look at it in the light and we talk about why do we do that? Why do we swirl a wine? And then we smell the wine. We first smell it in its neutral state and then we swirl it. And by swirling, all of a sudden you have a whole different wine. Why? Why did we do that? How did it open it up? And we explain the wine and then we taste the wine like a sommelier we bring it in like with air and we mix it up right on the palate and then we gently roll it around over the soft tissue cheeks gums under the tongue where you get hundreds of different sensors to break apart that wine most of the time we just drink our wine and when we do that it goes across your palate and you only get four flavors so sweet on the front salt behind that sour behind that salt behind that and bitter in the very center of your tongue but if you take that wine roll it over the soft tissue. First of all, all of a sudden this whole experience, your mouth is going to be tingling. When was the last time you had a wine and your whole mouth was tingling? It was alive without exploring that wine. Well, all of a sudden you're going to get more from that and you're going to really break down the nuances of that wine. And so when we do that whole process, then what we do is we let them taste what that wine from the barrel will become. And it's just like the educator moment where you literally have those the guests just go, and they understand the difference. And for me, that's the whole thing. So it sounds like you guys as a winery are very, very dedicated to teaching and to educating and to ensure that people not only leave here with having a memorable experience about, oh, these surroundings are wonderful, but also having learned something in the process. I call it the three E's. Uh, entertain, educate, enlighten. Mm -hmm. If you entertain them first, they will become educated, and then they will become enlightened. And there's a reason it's in that order. Because if you try to educate, but you don't entertain, they won't become enlightened. Mm -hmm. So entertain them first. Mm -hmm. Tell them a story. Be passionate about that story. Be, these are great wines. That's, this is the easy part. The wines speak for themselves. But tell them the story, and then make it experiential. So fact, why? but then experience it and you've already won. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. 
Shall we get to the Antiago? Can't wait. Let's do it, huh? <laughs> Marisa, this wine has special meaning to you. In 2009, it was a special year. Um, I gave birth to my son, Ian. And 22 days prior to my son being born, my friend and assistant winemaker at the time gave birth to her son, Tiago. And so at the time, you know, you have your babies, you get back to work, and then a year later you're going to do blends and the family comes to you and says, hey, why don't we do a wine to honor the birth of the boys? See what you can do. So again, it's like, really? Okay, well, you know, sit down and we do all of our wines and we... We look at each other and I'm like, okay, what are we gonna do? And so there were two uh, wines of that vintage in 2009 that kept coming to the forefront of blending. You know, it kind of happens, you end up with your favorites. And we had some leftovers and it happened to be a Malbec in a cab. And I, I just looked at her, I said, why don't we just put, put it together 50-50, two kids, two varietals. And so we did it. It was the first wine that we blended. We went through and played with other things to see if, now nah, it can't be that simple. And we came back to it and we thought, you know, we have a Malbec that we offer for wine club and we have cabs. This is something different, you know, and uh, that's kind of how it became born. And that's that's where it all started. This is a beautiful story. I love that story. How did you know that that, that, that 50, 50, 50, 50 balance would actually work? Well... <clears throat> We didn't, right? I mean, we knew how it tasted at the time of blending, and we thought, let's just go for it. And um, at the time, we thought it was going to be a one-off. We didn't expect to keep making it. It's been a, it had a big following, and it was well-received with wine club members, and uh, and so hence we kept going. Hey, what did you get out of it? What are you looking at as you swirl? Surely you can see that the color is really kind of densely saturated, um, and that's due to, you know the Malbec um, and the cap. I mean, they're both like thick-skinned, almost black grapes. It's really, really interesting. It's it's very soft and it has some roundness, but there's also some detectable acidity that kind of breaks up a little bit about that roundness that, so it's just, it's really an interesting mouthfeel, which is the first thing that I get. Um, I'm getting some chalkiness. Some chalkiness? Yeah. Which is totally not pejorative at all. No, it's not just bad a really at all. interesting layer yeah. to the wine. Um, it's actually almost alluring. And it's it's really kind of really cool on the nose. I get like, uh, I wrote down a little bit of green pepper. Um, I wrote down some cassis and nutmeg um, and some dried blackberries. So those kind of brambly, mm-hmm. brambly. Uh, Bush be- ber- berries is what I get from here. Um, and then on the palate, it's... You finished your just, whole glass there. Yeah, don't tell anyone. Um, but just lovely. Uh, it, 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 it lingers just a little bit and then it quickly dissipates. So it, it, it kind of creeps up on you and then kind of says, hey, and disappears. Wow. But it's it's very fleeting. But again, not pejorative, just really, really interesting. And um, I'm happy that I've been introduced to Ian Tiago because this <laughs> is very, very cool. Well, it's interesting. When you just described it, you made it, you made Ian Tiago sound like, hey, it's here's a strong presence and it just it pops at you. And yeah. it, it, but here for me, when I sip this, I have the opposite effect. I'm like, this makes time stand still. Mm. I just mm. take in that moment and just appreciate it. 
Yeah. And I'm looking at your glass because you just finished it. And look at the legs on that. Look at the grip on that. How would Joe, how would you describe that? And it's, that's something that I'm sure your guests talk about all the time. All the time. They're, they're always asking about the legs on the wine. Well, you actually want to you want to ignore the first round. Right, because that's just the liquid racing back to its original source. You want to look at the second one. The second round is really going to tell you. So, so weight and complexity. So that's what it really tells you. You know, the weight and complexity of the wine. So the thinner the legs, the smaller the teardrop. The slower it goes down the glass, the more complex the wine. Mm. The fatter the legs, the fatter the teardrop, the faster it goes, the less complex. Think of it's just a liquid, right? And so this just really tells you, again, ignore that first round. So now we're looking at these thing, these right here. Yeah, look how slow those are. You know, those are re- that's that liquid. It's so complex. It's holding on to that glass, and it's going to take its time. So it's going to stop time for you, but when it gets there, it's going to party for you on the other end. Right? Like, I gotta tell you, I had this with a pot roast the other night. Oh, wow. It was just absolutely perfect. Yeah. It was a cold night, right? We had the fireplace going, I had pot roast, mm. glass of this. Oh, um, it's just, it was, it was done. I was done. So, Marisa, who's right? Me or Janae? Should this make you pop and scream for attention, or should it just make time stand still and appreciate it? <laughs> I'm just joking. You don't have to answer that. No right or wrong. No right or wrong. <laughs> There's only one right or wrong, as long as it says Rutherford Hill on the label. That's, oh that's the only thing that's, that's right. <laughs> but when you were making this wine, did you have an idea, or were you striving for how you wanted the drinkers to react to this? It was, it was about making a good quality wine and something that was different than anything we had made before. Mm-hmm. And so when we put those two lots together and we tasted it and we kept coming back to it, it just, it tasted really special. You know, it was special and we thought we got to do this. And for me, a lot of it is intuitive, right? It's, it's trusting your instinct and just going for it. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but there was the first vintage. There wasn't really a first intention to make any more, but then literally the hue and cry from our club members and our guests was like, oh my God, this is so delicious. We have to have more. And we came, they came back mm-hmm. and, and made it and we've had it ever since. But again, um, if, if the vintage that year is a smaller vintage, it will sell out and it will be a club wine only. And again, that's one of the benefits of being a club member. We, you receive exclusive wines here at Rutherford Hill. We are direct to consumer. When you come to our tasting room and try our wines, either on the tour or in the tasting room, the wines that you are enjoying that day are only available here in our tasting room. That's how amazing these wines are and exclusive. So there's three ways to enjoy them. You can buy them here in our tasting room. You can go to our website and purchase them. But if you really want a nice special gift for yourself is if you're a club member, you're going to get a nice present, or you're going to stop by, join us for one of our club events, and enjoy these beautiful wines right here on the property. I think I've um, been here once where I've tried to buy it, and it was sold out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And this is another one of those wines on the tasting floor as a staff we just love. We will literally just pour it and step back. Mm-hmm. Because everybody has a perception about Malbec. They immediately go to Argentina. Mm-hmm. They think earthy, mm-hmm. spicy, dry. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, we just step back and we watch them. And they're like, oh, my God, this, is this a Malbec? Mm-hmm. Because this is round and full and lush on the palate. And they're so surprised. Mm-hmm. They've never tasted a Malbec like that. So I see that we have one more empty wine glass here on the table. We do, we do. <laughs> and we save that to last because we actually do, again, something very unique here. 
Um, so we double decant mm. all of our red wines before we serve them to our guests. And the reason for that is we want to make sure the first time you step up to our bar and taste Maurice's beautiful wines, you're getting everything from that wine. So we have a rule on the floor. If, if we go to get a bottle for the next pour and it's gone, if you're going to open a new one, you're going to take that bottle, you're going to take a decanter, you're going to go up to those guests, and you're going to share a little experience with them. And so that experience is double decant. So what I'd like to do with you today is, this is our beautiful 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon. Awesome. While I open it and prep it for the first pour, I'll have Marisa talk about it. So I'm going to give you a little sample, straight up. I want you to smell it. Get your nose in there. Open up that mask. Really experience it. Then taste it, right? Then I'm going to double decant it and pour you a second pour and see what happens to the wine. So you would experience it. Um, actually, again, the story of this wine, as you know, Cabernet Sauvignon was a cross-grafting together of two grapes. So Cab Franc. Franc means truth or pure. It literally is considered the father of all the big grapes. If you have a pyramid, he's the big daddy at the top, and all the other grapes came off of this original varietal. And they grafted the Cab Franc together with the white Sauvignon Blanc to create Cabernet Sauvignon. Sauvignon actually translates to wild, savage, untamed grape. Oh. That's literally what it means. Didn't know that. Yeah, and so now I always my little joke is this is this so this is the wild, savage, untamed red grape. Perfect. Love that. Marisa, can you tell us about this wine? As Joseph said, 100% uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, 50%, again, we got the 50-50 going on, but it is 50% from our Me Lane vineyard, which is Valley Floor, and then 50% from our hillside here. So it is a state-grown um, Cabernet. And when you say hillside here, we're in the Rutherford region yes. of Napa Valley. Yes. So, Joe, do you want to lead us? You just sure. uncorked it. You poured it for us. Thank you so much. You're and you just poured it straight from the bottle. So what should we be doing? So straight up. So what I want you to do is experience this wine straight from the bottle. Get your nose in there. So when you get your nose in there, you want to open up what's called the mask, this area up here above your eyebrows. That's where all uh, aromas are processed, mm. actually, up there. So big breath. That's gonna open up. It's you're gonna ting. It's gonna you're gonna be lightheaded. In fact, that literally is that lightheadedness. Is those sensors going? Whoa, whoa! What is that? What am I experiencing? So, uh, let's get our nose in there. Big breath. I'm not even gonna swirl. I'm just gonna smell straight. Straight, right? Mm. Right. Kind of flat, right? Mm-hmm. It's very. It's a, we, we call this the neutral state. Right? Um, but it's got a little burn to it. You can feel that little tickle right, right. here at the bridge of your nose. And right? That, that burn. I was going to say, I could smell a little bit of alcohol. Is that right? Or is that... Uh, is you that, are correct. That phrase, it's a little hot. If that's, so hot means you're getting one dimension of a four-dimensional experience. And that's unacceptable. We want a four-dimensional experience. When you enjoy Reese's Beautiful Wines, we want to make sure you have everything. So a little taste. Just like you're tasting the wine, just don't do anything fancy with it. Just a little taste. Still you only have, need a little tiny bit. Still have it swirled. Mm. <laughs> wow. Beautiful, beautiful flavors, even straight up. Yep. So, this is a young wine. This is a 14. So, you don't have to be shy with this one, all right? So, we're going to take the wine now, and we're going to dump it into our beautiful decanter, and we're going to get vigorous with it. 
That's good. We want to be vigorous with it. We want to get this wine going. All right. Now, again, I have this beautiful slim style decanter that's going to allow at the end there to wave back in on itself. So we have some beautiful foam on this wine. The more foam, the better. That means we're getting oxygen into this wine. Oxygen is going to get into that wine, open it up and change it. Now, double decant means we're just basically going to take the wine from the decanter and put it back into the bottle for a second opportunity to get more oxygen into this wine. Now, this is just a funnel, $5 on Amazon. My, my whole story is save the money for the wine, right? You don't need it on the toys. We're just getting that wine back into that bottle to bring out the natural flavors of this wine. So Cabernet Sauvignon, black pitted fruits, black cherry, blackberry, boysenberry, and then allspice, cinnamon, nutmeg, coriander, cumin. You're gonna get a lovely little hint of anise on this wine as well. And when you get your nose into this wine too, what's gonna be wonderful is you're gonna get that traditional, what's called Rutherford dust. Mm -hmm. Literally, that dust, that high iron content here in the soil that tells someone, ah, this is a wine from Rutherford right away. But you're also gonna get a nice little hint of vanilla on this beautiful Cabernet Sauvignon. So I've poured it back into the bottle. I'm gonna put my nice little Mylar drop stop here on the bottle to pour it in the glass. And now we're gonna taste it double decanted. Awesome. Mm. It, it feels, for me, it feels a little bit not as dark, mm -hmm. right? So this to me is, the first one is a little darker and this is really kind of awakening the fruit. When I sniff the uh, first wine, I get more um, dark berries, a tighter aroma. But when I sniff the second wine, wow, the decanted wine, I should say, wow, I get more instantly on my nose, uh, more vanilla right off the bat, right? Hmm. More uh, impression because I haven't sipped it yet. It just uh, my sense from the smell says to me it's a little bit more silky. Mm. And not as tight, certainly not as tight as the undecanted wine, the straight pour. Okay. It does taste silkier and softer to me, um, but at the same time on the nose, I feel like it has, I get more kind of macerated fruits. And I've had this on your beautiful hill, sitting on the picnic grounds overlooking the beautiful valley. And I've had this straight out of the bottle with friends. Yeah. I think, though, my personal preference is next time I'm here, I'm going to ask you to do the decant before I bring it out to the picnic grounds. And we offer that. If yeah. you want, we will literally say we double decant these wines. Would you like us to double decant this for you can enjoy it? Would you like it straight up? Yeah. I get a herbaceous quality to this wine. So dried herbs. So if I like I have a handful of dried herbs and just, you know, it's just so dry, it's just crinkling up. I get that when you get smell that. I get a little sage in this. A little sage, that dried herb, that mix. Almost that Thanksgiving mix, you know, with the turkey and the sage, uh, some lavender. I get that dried herb mix. You get lavender, I think, more. Yeah, thyme. But with these wines, you can pop it open now, and you can enjoy it as is, right? Or you can double decant it, soften it up a little bit. Or, if you want, you can put it in your wine rack. You can let it soften over time. I mean, our peak series of wines, our Angel's Peak, our Cardinal's Peak, our Devil's Peak, these are blends made 
to age if you so choose. These are wines made for that special occasion, complex dinner where you're going to sit down with friends and share a really good bottle of wine. Our beautiful uh, Angel's Peak is emulating Chateau Petrus. Mm. Our beautiful Cardinal's Peak is emulating Chateau Margaux. Our Devil's Peak is emulating Chateau Cheval, Cab Franc, my favorite grape. Uh, to, I, I love Cab Francs. I mean, they're so delicious. And what I love so much about Cab Franc is when it hits you on the front, it's just the same all the way back. No separation like you get with a Merlot and a Cab. In fact, my favorite dish with a Cab Franc is Osso Buco. you and I are like yin and yang right now because we're sitting next to each other and as Joe's describing all this, you're doing your happy dance, <laughs> waving your arms and, and he's just like, and I'm just like in this moment of zen, yeah, he's and moment out. of ecstasy right now. And <laughs> I'm never just, in a moment of zen. And Marisa I'm just pulled out, a, pulled out her phone to take a picture of us. I know, I got a great, got <laughs> a great it's, shot. It's so funny. You you release it out and, and, you, and you drop it in. You drop it into the core, and you're like, and I'm like, I'm out. Yay. <laughs> well, I, I did that because you said cardinal. Peak, which is your one of your Trilado brand label mm-hmm. wines, and that is one of my that is also one of my favorite uh, wines that I purchase here at Rutherford Hill. And uh, for me, that wine, I encourage the audience to come in if you're going to come to Rutherford Hill to to ask for that wine because for me, I like the concentration of the Bing cherry flavors that I pull from that wine. I just I think that's one of your along with the Antiago and and Cardinal's Peak, those are my two favorite wines here. And I just love that you said Cab Franc. I literally scour the valley looking for Cab Franc. I'm obsessed with Cab Franc. And Joe, remind the audience again how they could get uh, Rutherford Hill wines. Yeah, so just come visit us. Come to our beautiful property. Hang out with us. If you want to spend the whole day with us, we'd love it. We'd love it if you come and do a tasting with us and then go to the picnic area with a bottle. We have these beautiful cheese and charcuterie plates from Dean and DeLuca. And you want to hang out with us in our cabana or in our our picnic area and relax all day, we would love it. We would absolutely love it if you can just hang out with us. I love the different vibes. It's wonderful. Chilling on the hill. Chill on the hill. Chilling on the That's hill. That's what we're doing. I've done it. I've done it always. I've sat in the members' lounge out on the patio here uh, with friends. I've sat with uh, friends out in the cabanas, which, you know, when I have those friends from the East Coast and they want that kind of East Coast, New York, Miami vibe, I sit in the cabanas. And then I've just had nice, beautiful afternoon lunches, loungy lazy uh, afternoons sitting out on, on your hill and you gotta come see the view from the hill you really do and today it's December 2018 and uh, this morning uh, I went out to the hill to take some pictures that I'll post on the website but the uh, the leaves on the vines are, uh, are orange and red and to see a little plot of uh, orange and red grapevines that populate an entire panoramic landscape view of the valley is, uh, is something that you got to see for yourself under the morning sun. So come do that. As well as the evening sun. I've, I've sat here uh, with a bottle of wine, the bottle of the Cardinal's Peak, and just sat here and watched the sunset on a weekend day. So, so we have a new program that we started last year. So we are very blessed up here. We have the permit to allow our guests to picnic. So literally out of the 530 plus wineries in this valley, uh, five have the permit to allow our guests to bring food and picnic. And so with that in mind, 
we thought, hey, what the heck, we're here. And it's a beautiful summer evening. And if people want to buy a bottle of wine and relax in our cabanas, in our picnic area, on our patio, and enjoy and watch the sunset, that is fabulous. And so if people want to just come up here after our hour, so our, we finish our tastings at 5, but you can always just come up and buy a bottle and relax. We call it Sunset Sip, and you are more than welcome to come up here and relax on our property. It's too beautiful. Oh, it's glorious. Yeah. It really is glorious. And as a wine club member, I've been to some of your fun events, too. You have some great, beautiful wine release parties, very elegant. But, man, this summer I was here for the barn bash. Man, oh, man, that was a lot of fun. I brought friends, and it was not expensive. And you served barbecue, and you served your wine, and you had carnival games. And I won a couple magnums. I was obsessed with trying to win a magnum with the ring toss. Mm -hmm. And I was losing and losing and losing. And gave me some free rings to toss, and I finally captured uh, one one bottle. And I brought home a beautiful magnum Syrah. And I can't wait to open that. I think it's about 06. Yeah. Yeah. And then you milked. Then I milked milked the cow. cow. You milked the cow. You went that way, the strong man. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, look, we're a barn. So let's turn this thing into a barn bash. We had line dancing. First, well, we had, they had wine first. That that helped helped relax. So we had line dancing going. We had the carnival games. We had barbecue going. We had the bite. It was just a, let's just, let's blow it out. And my friend Rissa and I and Primrose and Jane, we did some line dancing, but Rissa, took it to the next step and incorporated some uh, Broadway stage moves into it which we got on video which I can't share or sh- on, on the website or she'll kill me yeah that's not to do but, that but uh, yeah. it was just very entertaining it's fun it's a fun day you all listening would like to visit Rutherford Hill uh, their address is 200 Rutherford Hill Road in the Rutherford AVA of Napa Valley and their phone number is 707-963-1871 or you can visit them online at Rutherford Hill. And Joe, when is the winery open for visitors? So we open our doors at 10 o'clock. And now our saying here is we stop taking new customers at 5. However, if you are here, we are open until you're happy. I love that. So, yes, if you're here and you're enjoying, you're, we're open until you're happy. That's hospitality. So, um, every day, 10 to 5. I think we're only closed five days out of the year of the major holidays. Do you uh, even have reservations? Uh, if you want to come on a Saturday, we really highly encourage reservations, specifically for our tours. Um, in the summer, our tours on Saturdays sell out a week in advance. So, on Saturdays, we have four tours. Saturdays and Sundays, we have four tours. So, 11, 12, 30, 2 o'clock and 3.30, and they're 90-minute tasting experiences. Um, and then during the week, we have three, so 11.30, 30, 3.30. Uh, so 90-minute walking, tasting tour of our beautiful property, history, production, and into our lovely cave. And, you know, one of the things that I've wanted to do, I haven't had a chance to do it here yet, is blending my own yeah. wine. What is that? Yeah, we have a program called Blend Your Own Bordeaux, where you can literally come in with a group, sit down, and we taste you on all the different individual varietals, and then you literally can create your own little bottle of wine. You go home with a nice little 375, um, make your own label, and you make your own blend. What if I want to go home with my own 750? For you, we'll work out a deal. You're a club member. All bets are off. <laughs> 
Well, Marisa and Joe, I can't thank you enough today. Uh, it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful tasting experience. And Rutherford Hill truly has it all to make everyone's visit here top-notch. Great wines. Your staff is super friendly, uh, super entertaining, as you said. And it's a beautiful property. And folks just got to come and visit it and see it for themselves. Please remember to subscribe to Sip on This on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out on siponthis.org, where you'll see pictures from today's tasting and ask questions, which we'll answer on a future podcast. Until our next podcast, live life peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers. 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 Thanks, guys. Thank this you. This is so awesome. Yeah, this is great. What a real treat it was. I was like, Hey, it's Roger Chung from the Sip on This podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new about Napa Valley wines. Please remember to subscribe to the Sip on This podcast so you'll receive every new episode. And check us out at our website, siponthis.org, where you'll see pictures from the wineries we visited. And you can ask us questions, which we'll answer during an episode. Until the next podcast, live peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers. Cheers.